So welcome to the session on the 18th of May 2019. We're just talking about yoga nidra and meditation and the various states, stages that you pass through in those practices. And uh, the question was in yoga nidra, are we encouraging the uh, perceptions of thought that we encounter through the practice? And the answer is not that we're encouraging as much as we are becoming more aware of them. And the thing that you are becoming aware of are the embedded imprints on the unconscious mind that are normally not perceptible to the waking mind that they're sitting beneath the surface. So it's a bit like if you, if you look at the surface of the ocean, you see the surface of the ocean, waves and ripples and foam. But if you put scuba gear on and you go beneath the surface, you find that there's a whole other world under there that is the truest part of the ocean. It's the, it's the depths of the ocean that carry all a lot of um, more information that is normally not available to you. So in Yoga Nidra, when we go into the unconscious mind, we start to get direct access to the conditioned beliefs, thoughts, things that are fears, phobias, all the stuff that we are trying to get rid of. Because we know that ultimately none of that is real, but as, for as long as those things continue to exert an influence on our minds and on our behavior and on our emotions, then to some degree we're caught, we're not liberated. We're being, we're an automaton being directed by that. You know, we're a captive of our past, you could say, of our conditioning. Is that the pain body, that? Uh, yeah, I, I reckon it's, it's a good correlate to the pain body. That's where the pain is held, mm. definitely. It's emotional pain is all held in the unconscious. Mm. And there are triggers that will trigger that in the waking state. Right, and you might be, you might sublimate. This is a lot of this stuff is sublimated. That's why it's in the unconscious. It's sublimated. It's we, we consciously. It's how we survive. In fact, how we cope with trauma, in the absence of meditation and these techniques, is we just sublimate it. Do you know what I mean by sublimate? We sort of push it. Bury it. Yeah, we bury it. But the problem is, it's still there. We haven't really dealt with it. The yoga nidra is a, creates a safe environment where you can go in and unpack all that stuff and get rid of it, release it. And it's akin to shining a light on darkness. If you can go in and see the phobias or the emotional scars or whatever it is that has been your problem, um, it's really purely a matter of seeing and understanding what that was and how it got there. That you can just... And remember I said that time when you were a child and someone said something to you and you might have taken it the wrong way, taken it to heart. It formed a belief in you that t determined in part how you are, you are. And then as an adult, if you were to go back and look at that situation, you might think that was a childish response. It was reasonable at the time for, through the mind of a child to think that but it's not actually true remember that the example I gave was if you saw your parents arguing about you and then you blame yourself and you'd carry that that's an example of that 
Whereas when you go in with this um, ob objectivity, actually, because when you're in Yoga Nidra, you see all these impressions, but you see them objectively in the sense that they won't generally elicit an emotional reaction. It's as if you're being scientific about it, you're putting a microscope on all the stuff that you're carrying and you're saying, ah, that's what that was. See what I'm saying? Yeah, so if you're going in there just to shine a light on anything that might be in there, why, why the Sankalpa? Why do you need an intent? Why don't you just go and Well, you could it? just do it without Sankalpa. But maybe the Sankalpa is to show me what the stuff is that is holding me back. Yeah. That is the Sankalpa. Right? So as you're going into Yoga Nidra, you form the intention that you want to be shown or you want to have direct and, and sort of awaking access to that stuff that you normally can't see. That's your Sankalpa. If it's of a non-specific nature, that can be your Sankalpa. But if you want to form a specific will, intention, you might say, I want to be free of fear. So if I've always had a very positive experience with the Open Church, you know I love it to death. Mm. The last one, I got really anxious. Mm. And I've never felt that before. Right. But I could not see what caused it. I had, how do you find out what it was? Go do it again. And this time say, I want to know what the cause of that anxiety was. You won't get it all done in one session. No. This is a, a journey, like a, a lot of work that we're taking on here. But if you're committed and you practice it regularly, then you can, you'll learn what that was and you'll be able to release it. So that's dealing with negative stuff in, that's in there. But the other um, possibility with Yoga Nidra is you can encode positive virtues. You can reform basically your entire personality in the sense that you might say, I want to, um, I want to, you know how our habits are? Our habits are not operating consciously. They're coming from a deeper state. So, you know, if you want to, um, whatever, give up smoking or, um, you know, wine song and the pleasures of the other sex, or um, if you want to get up early, let's say you've, you're like me and you don't meditate at the same time every day and I want to become like Kalyani that gets up every day at 5.30 without fail and she's got a total routine. That's her nature as well, by the way. We all have natures. But let's say I wanted to become like that. Then I could program that into it. You can do that. And that's, what, that's, um, that's the way that we cultivate attributes that are desirable and supportive of our practice. We can use it for that purpose as well. Now, with meditation, um, we uh, our objective is different. The objective of meditation is really to just release mind, release awareness of body and mind, and in that process, what happens is that we will gradually, naturally, de-identify with body and mind. By holding awareness in the transcendent state, which is still very much an experience of I am, but it's I am in an unconditioned, unlimited form, in our pure, perfect, perfect nature that's infinite. When the ego falls away, the true nature it reveals itself. 
and over the months and years that you meditate, a very sort of beautiful but mysterious process happens where the, you start to, tr not just as a mind thing, but as an experience, you are less identified with ego. You still have a body and mind that you'll have all your life. That's not going to go, but the thing is, your idea that I am that thing, those things, becomes... Um, there's less of a conviction and there's more and more of a growing conviction that you are this present pure presence of the, what, what I'm talking about the pure state of I am that you feel right now is becomes your truth the reality in which you live from which you operate and when that happens then that's you're on the way to liberation which is freedom from suffering freedom from those kind of limitations. Now you can see that there's going to be a crossover with Yoga Nidra, right? Because at a certain point, and this is the, the cool thing about these two processes working together, your karmas are basically all your past impressions. Okay, that's what karmas are. They're imprints on, let's say, your soul. That aspect of you. That is not always it's not visible to you but they are there operating and creating situations in life that you have to deal with and the learning that comes from the interaction or the collision between your karmas and situations that come into play is where the generally for non-yogis that's where the learning is occurring right so it's cause and effect is playing out you have certain personality traits that are a result of past actions whether they be in this life or if you believe in reincarnation they've come from other lifetimes as well they're all still stored in there okay now meditation is dissolving all that away just by the immersion into state those things lose their ability to have any effect on you if they're the karmas that are already in play remember we did a talk on karma there are three kinds of karmas, and I'm not going to go too much into this now. But the karmas that are there that are in seed form, that have not yet germinated, that are still held in the, at the soul level, or you could say in the unconscious, they will naturally be burned, roasted in the fire of yoga, they say, the seeds that no longer germinate, they can't germinate because you've dealt with them before they've even come into action. That's the first um, effect. The second effect is the karmas that are already in motion for this lifetime, those seeds have sprouted, and so you're dealing with situations now as a result of um, past deeds, let's say. Then the meditation gives you the skill of detachment, so that notwithstanding that you may have to go through some suffering, it's not affecting you in the way that it would have previously because you're able to get some distance on it you might still have stuff you've got to deal with and it can be positive stuff as well karma's not all bad it can be good karma as well but the key is that you're being detached and in being detached you counter the third aspect of karma which is the karma that you're creating in this moment through the attachment to action that you're currently engaged in so if i do something with an extreme emotion 
or extreme um, willfulness, that's going to create karma. That's how karma is created. It's anything that you do voluntarily, willfully, uh, will form, it does form an impression on the soul. It's sort of like if you watch a movie, that's, I'm not saying movies create karma, but do you know, if you know that you're impressionable, that you take on the impressions that you're exposed to, this is why people can become negative thinkers. If you're surrounded by a lot of negativity, you take it on. So it's this process of taking stuff on that is creating the samskaras or the impressions on the on the delicate soul nature. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? It's a little bit complicated, but I'm trying to condense a lot into three minutes. So basically meditation goes through and it dissolves the karmas that are there, the ones that haven't yet happened. It gives you detachment so that you're not creating more karma. No, sorry, it gives you detachment so that the things that you're living through now are more bearable and also are not forcing you to react in ways that are creating more karma for the future. And thirdly, by giving you uh, detachment, uh, you're not likely to create more karmas for the future. I think I just repeated myself. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah, no, you were clear. Right. You were yeah. clear. Now, so that's how meditation helps um, deal with whatever the life is throwing at you. That just feels to me like clarity, but you know, when you meditate, you just feel clear about things. But that's, that's the reason. That's the reason that you're clear. Right. Is because what's stopping you from being clear is all this baggage that sits between you and reality. And a lot of it's the voice of the ego. So this is where ego comes in. Ego is feeding off your karma. Ego is effectively the instrument of your karma. If you had no ego, you, couldn't, you wouldn't create karma. It's what ego creates karma because ego is this limited thing that is fearful and controlling and is the thing that is imbuing your actions with uh, the kind of emotional power that's going to create more karma. If you take ego out of the picture, in the sense that you no longer believe that you are, if you no longer know yourself as ego, all your actions become pure actions. By definition, they can't be karmalist because you've already, you're no longer identifying as this mind body when you're in that state. You're already the transcendent self that is benevolent and kind and loving by its own nature. And so no karma can be created. Even the good actions you do are karmalist because you're not identifying with the actor got it? If you identify with the actor, then karmas are created. If there is no actor, because you are now the universal self that just happens to be functioning through a mind-body, that's still there, but you don't believe in the mythology of your own, this mind-body sort of story, then the actions are karma, they're pure actions. And by nature, they will just always be coming from love. That's the liberated state. That's the enlightened state. But, you know, to get to that is not a matter of saying, 
I've got to make sure that all my actions are karmless. It doesn't work that way. You actually you have to... You wouldn't be doing anything then, would you? No, ever? that's just the mind deluding you that you're in a certain... This is what spiritual ego is, right? It's, it's, it is still ego. The point is that when you're in... The, and you should listen to Sailor Bob. And when there is no you anymore as such... And I know this is a really challenging idea because every, everything, all your senses are telling you that this can't be true, that there must be a me. Who is it that's sitting in this chair? But the moment you close your eyes and you go into meditation, the truth returns. And you just, I mean, did you, did you feel when you were meditating that there was, there was no existence anymore? that there is another state that is, that is authentic. It's actually more authentic. This is, the, this is the sort of, this is where language really gets in the way of this. But the experience is of truth. It's truth that you are experiencing. This can't be true because for a start language is not a perfect medium so there is already inherent limitation in what our senses tell us we know that's not true not reliable because the dog can see and hear better than we can and do other things so we know we're only through our senses we're only getting a small fragment of truth but it's good enough for us to if you, if all we want to do is live in the world and not get killed this is a pretty it's not a bad um, working model for reality. It's a working model. That's all it is. But to the yogi, it's it's basically a dream, in the sense that they know that it's not permanent, and nothing we say or do or whatever happens to us or any thought we have is going to last for that long. And even a lifetime for us seems like a long time, but that's also part of our delusion. How old is the universe? And what's one human life? You see what I'm saying? So from the totality, from the viewpoint of, let's say, the God state that we seek to attain or become or to remember, because we are always it anyway. From the viewpoint of that, that reality, this is, this is just a, a charade. It's just a game. It's going to pass. But from the viewpoint of this being caught in it, it is so real and so fundamental to our concept of who we are that any of this other talk just sounds like New Age bullshit, you know? But it's only, and, and how do you, and, and so the only way through that to the truth is through the experience that occurs when you meditate. And then you can forget about everything that we've said and just know it as true. The words are simply there, actually, to satisfy the mind for long enough that it will accept the uh, possibility that there can be a, another more complete notion of existence. The, the, the reason for the explanations, for all the scriptures, for all the techniques and everything else is that these are just simply stepping stones or pointers that will allow us to put the mind into neutral for long enough for the truth to reveal itself to us.
and then you don't need any of this other stuff because you'll be in, you'll know. See, this is just all about keeping the mind in, out of the picture. You have to, so the questions come and then you, you have to answer the question. And then another question comes up, why this? And you answer the question. But eventually the questions stop. When the questions stop, then you get the experience. When, you've, when you can come here, and I'm not saying don't have questions, but when you, when you get to the point where there are no questions, then you'll know the truth. Someone I listened to and they said, how do you know when you're enlightened? And he said, when you stop asking me questions. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of what I'm saying. But in the meantime, because when the only reason there are questions is because we're still not 100% convinced of the truth of our own infinite nature. There's doubt there. That's what doubt gives rise to questions. But, 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 but. You know, because it's the ego is the one actually that's forming the question. The ego is saying, but you know, what you're really talking about here is my destruction and I can't accept that. So I've got to keep throwing challenges back into the face of the infinite reality that I know I can't be because if I was that, then I wouldn't be anything anymore and then who would I be? That's the ego's whole script, right? Whereas the self, capital S, is saying, everything's perfect. Just be, be the love that you are. Be the infinite one that you are. See the conflict here? See how the ego finds that so threatening? Because the ego would say, but then who would I be? Because you've been told from the age of two years old that you're a good boy or a good girl or you're, you know, this name and this religion and this from this family. And is it any wonder that we believe it? We've been so programmed. And now what we're trying to do is deprogram ourselves by just giving ourselves a dose of stuff like that which beyond anything that anyone could have told us we are. And the whole point of life, according to the yogis, is that we've got to go through those experiences until we get to the final recognition of the true nature, that it isn't all of those things. And the test will be, when do we break open the myth that having more material wealth is going to make us happy? So there's a big lesson, isn't there? Or more relate this relationship, or this job, or this reputation, or all of those things turn out to be fruitless in the ultimate pursuit of happiness. Not to say that they have no value in a relative sense, they have a function. But in terms of if you want ultimate happiness, complete liberation, you've got to abandon any belief that any of those things are necessary for you to be the perfect infinite being that you already are. Right? But that's hard because everyone has told you from day one that you've got to have all these things. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the yogi that says, here I am living in a cave, I've never had any of those things, and I'm, I'm experiencing more bliss than you can ever know until you become like that? Or do you believe the guy on the TV that says, if you buy this block of land, 
build this house or um, if you buy this car or if you wear these fashions or eat this food or travel to this destination, then you'll be happy. And I know that you don't believe that anymore or you wouldn't be here. You, you must understand that that's not it. So what is it? Yeah, I know. He doesn't even need a watch, he just knows. I know, he's got the leg up, he's saying it's time. Anyway, the, again, like I say, just do the practices, get into the state, and then none of this really, none of the words really mean anything. It's just to satisfy the questions for long enough that the doubts will go away, that you can go, okay. He's talking about something. I know there's something in what he's saying that feels right to me. But, but I need to know I need to know it for myself. And my only role is to, as Bob says, I just give you pointers. I point to the truth, but then you have to go and establish it for yourself. I can't give you the experience directly. I can just share the lessons that I've learned. Okay, so that's a very good session. We had a good meditation, had some good questions. And when we have no questions. Are there now are there any more questions? <laughs> if there are no more questions, I, you can go. <laughs> we may leave. But this is good. I mean, do you feel benefit from this sort of whole discussion? That, mm. Do you feel that clarifies stuff? Yeah, definitely. Only for the mind. I mean like Norel says, when there are no more questions, then you're done. But there could be questions right up until that point. Nisargadhara says stuff like, my, my teacher told me that I had to inquire into the state of who I am. And I believed him. And I did that. He didn't, have any, he didn't question it. But he's coming from another culture where you tend to accept what the teacher says without questioning. And that's, that's good if you can do it. But we're Westerners. You know, we've been brought up through the, you know, tradition that started from the ancient Greeks. Question everything. Hmm. Right? So we're carrying the baggage 2,000 years of cultural indoctrination that says don't take anything that anyone says. So if we didn't have that, we get, we could, I could just tell you one thing, like my teacher said, just go do the mantra. And I wouldn't need to see you again. Just do the mantra. Just do the mantra. That's all he said. Do the mantra, think of God, no. see God in each other, see God within all things. That's it, done. And all the Indian disciples that listened to that, when did that, and they're all enlightened, all the Westerners had to go through the long road of questioning and challenging and proving it, and we're still here. <laughs> but that's, that's it. On the other hand, we have the good fortune of living in a... In a um, Do you try and get out? Yeah. Alright, that's, <laughs> that's the end. Okay, we'll see you next week. Next week.